From the banks of the Colorado River in Lake Mead to the homes and businesses in Southern Nevada, welcome to Water Smarts, the podcast pumping from the heart of Las Vegas, where we engage with the experts who keep the water flowing throughout Southern Nevada. I'm Bronson Mack. And I'm Crystal Zelke. From how we treat it, deliver it, use it, protect it, and conserve it, the Water Smarts podcast is all about water in Southern Nevada. We hope to make you a little smarter about the one thing that keeps us all connected, water. Hey, Crystal, how are you today? Good, Bronson. Just kind of hanging in there. Woo, it's been a busy summer, hasn't it? It has indeed been a busy summer. I mean, we've been relatively fortunate to get some monsoons here. That has been a good benefit for us as people have gone out and turned off those sprinkler clocks, helping to save water. But water, water, water is the topic, topic, topic all over the media. We have seen this from Good Morning America to New York Times, The Review Journal, publications out of Arizona. Heck, we even have international media that is coming to us almost every single week. It has a lot of relevance, especially for European media, as they are experiencing significant issues with drought exacerbated by climate change, just like we are here in the Colorado River Basin. You've probably seen a little bit of that coverage, haven't you, Crystal? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, this is our life, right? Every day you're dealing with media. I'm dealing with our uh, website and our social media, and we are just inundated right now. And I think everybody's really paying attention, and there is a real interest in what's happening here. We've had a lot of developments, though, over the last couple months with Tier 2 shortage being announced, but we see a lot of interesting questions and chatter out there, and other people, even other YouTubers making their own videos about Lake Mead. And while a lot of them are really great. And I applaud them. We sometimes see stuff that's not 100% correct. So we always encourage people, even the ones who want to put together this content, whether you're consuming it or you're developing it, to come on over to our social media. We're everywhere. All our channels, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, you name it. And we're always sharing all the information and developments that are going on here with our water. Yeah, there is no reason to be uninformed when it comes to our community's water supply and water conservation. All over those social media platforms, whichever one is your favorite, make sure you're seeking out the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Give us a follow, give us a friend request, whatever it takes so that we're in your feed providing you good information in a timely manner. And you're right, a lot of people are paying attention. You talked just briefly about uh, the tier two shortage and we have moved now from a tier one shortage, which we are under this year in 2022. We will move to a tier two shortage next year in 2023. What that means for us here in Southern Nevada, we have to forego more water next year than we did this year. However, our water use and conservation efforts have us well prepared. Our water use is well below what those shortage volumes would be. And if everybody did what they needed to do from a conservation standpoint and followed the watering restrictions and replaced that grass, boy, we'd even save more water than is being cut under a tier two shortage reduction. But today to discuss what the next level of Colorado River shortages means for us here in Southern Nevada and to answer some common questions about our water supply, we have with us Colby Pellegrino, Deputy General Manager of Resources for the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Colby, welcome back to the Water Smarts podcast. Glad to be back, Crystal and Bronson. Thanks for having me. 
Kobe, we've been living under these drought conditions for more than two decades. And anybody who lives in our community has seen that bathtub ring around Lake Mead growing larger and larger year after year. That really does serve as a visual reminder for all of us just how severe this drought has been. You know, the climatologist told us that the dry areas of the country would continue to get drier and the wet areas of the country would continue to get wetter. And boy, howdy, it does look like that's exactly what has happened, especially as we look at Lake Mead dropping more than 170 feet since the year 2000. And in fact, the federal government declared the first ever water shortage on the Colorado River, uh, which was in effect just this year, where Nevada, us here in Southern Nevada, as well as our counterparts in Arizona, had to reduce their annual allocations of the Colorado River. The water levels in Lake Mead have continued to decline and we're going to see steeper cuts coming next year in 2023. So, Colby, can you explain a little bit to our listeners about what this next level of shortage means for us here? Absolutely. The conditions on the river right now are historically bad. (laughs) When we look at the recorded history on the Colorado River, this is the worst drought we've ever seen. Even when we look back through tree ring data that we can reconstruct over the last, say, 1,500 years, this is one of the worst droughts that we've seen. What we are seeing is that it's a hot drought. And what that means is that temperature is driving the reduction in inflow more than a lack of precipitation. So in some years, we're actually getting normal or near normal precipitation, but significantly less runoff into the river. It's because the environment is acting like a sponge. As the atmosphere gets warmer, it holds more water. And As it gets drier, the soils and the plants are soaking up more of that water. So even though we have some good rainfall and snowfall, particularly in the upper basin, we're just not seeing that water make it into our reservoirs. That is causing this cascading effect of lake levels declining and these agreements that we've now had in place since the early 2000s to start to kick in where we have these predefined shortages based upon Lake Mead's elevation. So starting in 2023, our allocation is actually going to be reduced even further where we can only take 275,000 acre-feet of water from Lake Mead instead of our normal 300,000 acre-feet of water. I think what's important to remember as we talk about that is that that's a shortage reduction of our allocation. So Nevada has an allocation of 300,000 acre-feet of water each year. But in 2021, we only used 242,000 acre-feet of our allocation. So even though these shortages are increasing, because we've been proactive in managing our water use, we're not having to take emergency measures this year to adapt. But we do need to continue our conservation journey. I'm sure we're going to touch on that more. I think the other thing we have to remember is the other states, particularly Arizona, is taking a huge water supply reduction of 592,000 acre feet. So that's almost double Nevada's allocation. That's more than double what we used in 2021. And Mexico is taking a shortage of about 104,000 acre feet next year. So Colby, you bring up some interesting points about how we're able to to manage where we are right now. And that's really because we have not used our full allocation because we have been so good at conserving here in Southern Nevada. Because of that, can you explain why conservation continues to be one of the most important things we do as we continue to face shortage conditions? And then also kind of just talk about how well Southern Nevada has done conserving water over the past 20 years. 
The thing about this community is they've really embraced conservation. Since 2002, our community has grown by about three quarters of a million people, 750,000 new people living in the valley. And we use 26 billion gallons less water today than we did then. We have been able to come down from using more than our full allocation of water to now using every year less than our full allocation of water. So we're prepared to weather these upcoming shortages. We continue on our journey of conservation because that's the resource that we can control here locally. It is completely within our control to decide how much water we use and how we use it. And that's what we're going about doing. We expect that drought is going to continue. We expect that shortages are going to continue. In fact, we expect both of them could be significantly worse than what we're seeing today. And the way for us to ensure that this community has a reliable and sustainable supply of water is to use water as responsibly as we can. Colby, you were on the podcast last year, and we talked a lot about what was causing the mega drought and how the Southern Nevada Water Authority and and our community has been prepared for these shortage conditions. And for our listeners who might have missed that episode, feel free to scroll on back. It's episode number 14 of the Water Smarts podcast. It's titled Nevada Responds to the First Ever Federally Declared Shortage on the Colorado River. Give that one a listen. After you're done with this podcast, you will not be sorry. Also, we featured a recent podcast with you and some of the other members of the Southern Nevada Water Authority's management team discussing conditions on the river and what that means for Southern Nevada. Colby, we have invested in infrastructure to ensure that we have access to our water supplies, even as lake levels continue to drop. And we've implemented some of the world's most progressive and comprehensive water conservation programs. Just to help our listeners understand, is it enough? Can we stop there with all that we've done to conserve at this point and feel good about what we've done and go ahead and continue on as life is normal? Or do we still need to keep conservation top of mind? We absolutely need to keep evolving our water conservation goals. When we look at the future, the future of the Colorado River is uncertain, and that's 90% of our water supply. We are looking at options for new resources, but they're out in the future. So we have to continue working as progressively as we can on our water conservation code. That means that everyone needs to do their part, just like you said, Bronson. We cannot rest on our laurels, and we really need to remind everyone that they play a role. Most of our consumptive use of water is in outdoor landscaping. And everyone has a hand in that. Every homeowner, everyone that lives in a valley can play a role in making sure we use that water responsibly. But I think it's also the time that we sort of evolve a little bit more and we've started adding some sticks instead of just carrots to our approach, making sure that we have the tools to drive down demand when we need to. As you kind of mentioned, the whole carrots and sticks part of this. In the past, the SNWA has offered carrots in the form of rebates. For example, the WaterSmart Landscapes rebate offers a cash incentive of up to $3 a square foot of grass replaced with WaterSmart drip irrigated landscapes. And the Water Efficient Technologies rebate, which is aimed more at businesses, we call it WET, offers businesses cash incentives for installing water saving technologies from ice machines to cooling systems. Colby, how else is the Water Authority and its member agencies planning to encourage more conservation or what sticks are in our toolbox? 
I think the biggest stick that we've deployed recently is working with the Nevada State Legislature to pass Assembly Bill 356. And what that bill requires is that non-functional turf, this is turf not being used for recreation, it's not things you're picnicking on, it's not a place your kid is playing sports, that turf needs to be removed within five years. We have tried and tried and tried to go after some of the areas in the valley that have this non-functional turf. We tailored marketing campaigns toward them. We even went individually to meet with some of them. Just for a little color of why we went and did what we did with the legislature is we got responses like, that level of conservation isn't for us. Uh, We had an audacious one of conservation is for poor people. We had uh, some businesses where Howard Hughes actually had stepped up and offered some of their HOAs to do the conversions for them. So it was no cost to the HOA and they were still refusing the conversions of this turf that absolutely no one is using. It was in a median, (laughs) actually, the one that uh, the comment was made that even though it was going to cost them nothing, they still did not want to do it. So that is a stick that we decided it was time to use, that turf is serving no function in the community other than wasting water. The next set of sort of sticks, I would say, are really aimed at new development. New development has to be water smart from the start. We get the question often, and I think we're going to talk about it a little more later today, how can we still grow? And the answer to that is, Every single business and homeowner, apartment complex, and school coming into this valley needs to have the smallest water footprint they possibly can. We can live and recreate and have a great quality of life by making the hard choices up front for new development. Those are things that SNWA board has started to move and make policy resolutions on, and they're going through the adoption of our member agencies. They include things like no turf in new development except for schools, parks, and cemeteries. Another one is more efficient cooling systems. There are many places around the world that do not use evaporative cooling, either because the climate they have or the water resources they have. But in large buildings, that's still the predominant type of cooling used in this valley. We need to move away from using water to cool buildings. And we're working to develop the standards to do that. Lowering water budgets for golf courses is another example limiting the sizes of pools as the luxury home market has expanded in the valley. And as our turf restrictions have grown tighter, we've coined the word poolscaping, where we saw these large luxury homes going in that were really using pools as a decorative feature. I can mention some that we looked at where there's actually moats along the front door. They're not even something you can swim in, but they're just evaporating our water resources. And what we know about the luxury home market is those homes aren't even occupied year round. So it's even more audacious use of our limited water supply. We really are trying to take the approach of no stone left unturned. Part of trying to get everyone to do their part is we have to show that we're going after everyone that's wasting water in the community. It has to be something that we apply equally to everywhere in the community that there's water waste. And we're really taking that approach with new development and really looking at all the ways that new development is using water irresponsibly and trying to limit them at the very front end. Also, despite having a lot of new sticks, we've expanded our carrots. 
and put more money into the programs that incentivize people to make the right changes. We're doing research on new technologies such as cooling technologies and ways that existing businesses can change their operations or upgrade their systems to use less water. And we're constantly evaluating what's out there in the market that will help people in the Valley reduce their water use. So I know that sometimes the residents had felt like we've targeted them the most when it comes to stepping up for water conservation. And that's probably because our Water Smarts Landscapes rebate program has been around for 20 years. So that's been going on for a long time. But as you ticked through the list here, it really does show that the Water Authority's efforts to encourage more conservation in the Las Vegas Valley targets everyone, businesses, homeowners again, large resorts, and golf courses. What will have the biggest impact on our water supply? This is a great opportunity to remind everyone about this Valley's return flow credits. We're a fairly young community. We have a really good centralized sewer system. We capture all that water that hits a drain that's connected to the sewer. We treat it and we return it back to Lake Mead. That does not count against the water that we're allowed to withdraw from Lake Mead. So the places that we permanently debit water from the Colorado River are outdoors. That is the number one place we consumptively use water. That's the water nerd term, is our outdoor landscapes. Evaporative cooling, number two. So those big cooling systems that are using water to get rid of heat in buildings, that's number two. Another huge one, septic systems. Those are the places we have to focus on. And that's, I think, a little bit of why it feels like we target homeowners. There's a lot more homes in this valley than there are businesses. And we're trying to get every single person to remember to change their watering clock. We're trying to get every single person to remember on a windy day, shut your sprinklers off because we don't need to water the street. On a rainy day, take a break from your irrigation system and let Mother Nature do its work. That's something that we need every single homeowner, business owner, property manager to do. And that's why you hear from us so often. Another thing that we've done in the category of sticks, though, is we've increased our water waste enforcement across the valley. We've added significantly more people to our water waste enforcement across all of the municipal jurisdictions. We've made it easier for the community to report water waste, and we're looking at whether or not we need to increase those fines. A lot of people do the right thing the very first time they find out that they have water waste. And a lot of times we find that our customers just don't know. They haven't seen the leak. They haven't realized that their sprinklers need to be adjusted and they make that change. But there are some people that really do need that stick. Yeah. And Colby, just like you said, there's more residents in Southern Nevada than there are businesses. Residents actually account for 60% of our community's total water use. One of the things about our conservation programming is that we didn't just require homeowners to carry all of the load when it came to conservation. But rather, as a community, we placed all of these conservation initiatives, requirements, and regulations and rules on the backs of every single sector. You know, we hear a lot from people out there in the community, and a lot of times we get asked the same questions when it comes to water resources and it comes to water conservation. These issues are obviously complex. They're a little nuanced at times, but there are definitely some myths that are out there floating around the valley as well as on YouTube. In fact, you did a series of YouTube videos available on the Southern Nevada Water Authority's YouTube page called 
tapped the truth to help educate the community about the facts associated with our water resources. And we thought it might be a good idea to do a little bit of a version of that here today. Are, are you okay to do a little tap the truth with us here on Water Smarts? Absolutely. Oh, great. Let's get started with this one. Shortage declarations and California. The fact is that when the shortage declaration was initially declared, and then put into effect this year, California didn't see any cuts to its allocation. So let's tap the truth on this one. Why isn't California taking any cuts with a federally declared water shortage? That's a great question. And the answer to it takes us all the way back to when Arizona and California began their journey on the Colorado River. The early periods of this river were marked with litigation. It's it's in fact called sometimes the most litigated river in the world because of the litigation between Arizona and California. What they were really trying to figure out in that litigation was in a shortage, how is it shared across state lines? And what the court ruled is that it's shared equally, essentially, by the percentage of each state of how much water they use on the river. And right after the Supreme Court made those rulings, the Central Arizona Project, which is a giant water supply project that brings water from the Colorado River all the way into Phoenix and Tucson, those areas, had to go to Congress to get federal funding. And California's delegation essentially said, we're only going to give you the federal money you need to build this water supply project if you agree to take California shortages. So a strict reading of that law says that the Central Arizona project will be reduced to zero before California takes a shortage. Practically speaking, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of huge cities now built upon that. There's a lot of tribal settlements that involve the Central Arizona Project, but that's the way the law is written. Subsequent to that, we negotiated the Drought Contingency Plan. And within the Drought Contingency Plan, they agreed to step in and take some shortages when Lake Mead drops below elevation 1045. So we do see California stepping in voluntarily before Arizona's Central Arizona project is completely shorted, but it is a little bit lower down in the reservoir. So I anticipate if we proceeded on the same trajectory, we would see California participating in 2024. Of the seven states, Nevada has the smallest percentage of the river, only 1.8% of the allocations, which is why it's so important here that we protect every drop. People might not realize that all of the states really are working together to protect the Colorado River. It's easy to point fingers at others when you don't understand the law and all these other nuances that you just explained, Colby, which is why we probably get the next question quite a bit. Why should I conserve water when we need to stop sending water to California? Can you tap the truth on whether or not we can just cut off the water supply to California or Arizona? I love answering this question. It is not our water. The water on the Colorado River is subject to an interstate compact. The water is the property of seven states subject to a compact. There's actually a compacts clause in the Constitution. It does govern how we interact interstate on issues such as water. We cannot simply step in and take Arizona and California's water away from them. There's another element here of prior appropriation. Whoever used the water first is whoever maintains the water last, essentially. 
in most cases, that's agriculture. In fact, before Nevada withdrew a single drop of water from the Colorado River for its use, California was already using its full allocation. They are not using more than they're allowed, neither is Arizona. But there are these allocations and these agreements in place that talk about how the water is governed interstate. We also have a a role that's unique on the lower basin states for Arizona, California, and Nevada, where the Bureau of Reclamation serves as the water master. So technically, they get to decide when we're in shortage and what the volume of that reduction is. We also don't control the dam because I understand from my time out in the community, a lot of people say, well, just shut off the dam. That's not ours. The federal government actually controls the dam. And there are actually river systems in the West where people have taken it upon themselves usually to open structures, not close them. But they actually do send in the federal marshals when there's a severe drought to ensure that water is going where it's supposed to, consistent with the laws and agreements that govern that water supply. Now, we can have all the arguments and debates we want about is the priority system fair, but the reality is everyone is operating consistent with the laws and agreements that we have in place. And I don't think that there's anyone that's just sitting there saying, nope, I'm going to drink as much water as I want without adapting. Particularly at the municipal level, we see people stepping up all over the lower basin. So just to reiterate, we don't control the releases from the river. In addition to questions about California, Colby, we also get quite a few questions about the Las Vegas Strip and its water use because people see the fountains at the Bellagio. I'm sorry, Bellagio, we always use it as, as the example, but it's the one that everybody looks at. So can you tap the truth on this question? The Strip uses way too much water. Why don't you cut off water features like the Bellagio fountains? Resorts consume less than 5% of the water that's used here in the Valley. And I want to challenge everyone who's out there saying that to open Google Maps, go to the aerial view, zoom it out so you can see the strip and all of the land that those 40 million visitors a year that drive this economy use and tell me how much of it is water surface area. It ain't much. But when you're down on the strip walking through the main resort corridor, it seems like a huge amount. And the Bellagio fountains are really cool. They bring a lot of people here. They don't use that much water. And that water isn't actually Colorado River water that we supply them. It is from a private well that's located on their property. I think what we have to remember when we talk about the resorts as a whole is they are the largest employer in our community. That 5% is the hardest working water that we have in the state by large in terms of the economic output associated with it. It's a great investment locally in what it does for our community and for jobs. And the same applies at the state level. The other thing we should think about when it comes to resorts is that the majority of the water that they're using is indoors. It's showers, it's cooking, it's toilet flushing. The pools that they have and the populations that they serve are incredibly small. The consumptive use that they do have is generally from cooling systems, and we're trying to find more efficient technology out there. And we've also looked at technology in conjunction with strip resorts that helps them see where the water is being lost and manage their water supply better, catch leaks sooner. And that's technology that 
We have deployed at several strip resorts and we're looking all the time for new technology partners and new resort partners to come in and figure out how we can manage that water wisely. The resorts down on the Las Vegas Strip continuing to be a good partner. And, you know, the Las Vegas Valley Water District is uh, actually preparing a new conservation measure that will prohibit the construction and installation of any new water features in any new casinos going forward. So those water features that we currently have on the Las Vegas Strip, that is going to be it. There won't be any future water features constructed there. I also like the point that you make about that indoor water use. All of our indoor water use gets reclaimed and returned back to Lake Mead. Every gallon we return to Lake Mead allows us to draw another gallon into the valley as treated drinking water. You know, another industry that also provides a little bit of tourism benefit as well as local jobs is the golf course industry. It's another one of those industries where people look at it and go, hey, that's a lot of grass out there. Why aren't golf courses doing their part? But the water use associated with golf courses consumes less than 6% of our valley's water supply. So we talked about resorts consuming less than 5%. Golf courses consume less than 6%. Once again, residents use 60%. So Colby, what's the truth? Are golf courses a problem? Should we just get rid of them? Should we just take them out in order to save water? You know, obviously, Bronson, as we talk about golf courses as an industry using more than strip resorts, golf courses have a role to play in our future water conservation. We look at the valley again and we look at new development and what really makes sense in the valley and we have to get more strict on that. And one of the things that several of our municipalities have done already, including the Las Vegas Valley Water District, is say, we are no longer allowing golf courses to be constructed here. We anticipate that by the end of the year, that'll be true for every municipality in our service area. New golf course communities are a thing of the past. For the ones that are here, it's incumbent upon them to use their water wisely. We've taken the step of reducing their water budgets further. We're dropping them down from 6.3 acre feet per acre to 4 acre feet per acre. They've taken out a ton of turf in the past. They're likely to have to take out a little bit more turf or do other things like converting the playable turf that they have to a warm season turf instead of a cool season turf. We're encouraging them to use better sprinkler technology to help manage their water supplies. And golf courses are subject to AB 356, which requires them to remove any non-playable areas. So there's golf courses, I'm sure, that everyone's driven by where, yeah, nice big green tees, greens, fairways. But that turf in the parking lot does not belong there. And all of that's coming out under AB 356. So again, new development has to be water smart from the start. I think this is a good time to just plug that we are working with industry leaders and the government for the first time on economic development initiatives where we are looking at the water footprint of new development, particularly new large development coming into the valley. And we're for the first time saying in a really formulaic way, certain things just don't belong here. I'll give you an example, bottling plants, anybody making soda or beer. A lot of those facilities come here because our water is cheap, our energy is cheap, our regulatory requirements and our taxes are cheap. And so they want to locate here and then they want to take all that product, package it up in plastic bottles and ship it to neighboring states. So they are essentially exporting our water resources in little plastic bottles. We are starting to say, no, that's not a good use of our water. Certain mineral manufacturing, same thing. 
We've seen things slip through in the past that were audacious, but we have this community and its economic development leaders saying, we want water resources people at the table helping us tell which businesses belong here and which ones don't. And we're happy to have that partnership. And we're really making sure that future economic development is the type of economic development that makes sense for our limited water resources. Colby, you touched on exactly where our next question is going, which is, I would say, hands down, the biggest one that we get a lot. Why are we continuing to build more homes in the Valley if we're facing a water shortage? So I would ask most people this when they ask this question, when did you move here? Because if you moved here after 2002, you only moved here because somebody before you conserved. We were overusing our allocation of water in 2002. We've cut that use of water by 26 billion gallons just through conservation, despite adding 750,000 new people. This economy still has a huge growth component to it. Anybody who lived through the recession in this valley knows what no growth looks like for this valley, and it's not pleasant. We have to find ways to be sustainable, to balance our economy in the long term. And I know we are going to get there. If we can minimize as much as possible the water footprint of new development, it's not exacerbating the problems that we have. That's why we've done these really hard things that no other communities have done as aggressively as we have, like no turf in new development, only having turf in schools, parks, and cemeteries going forward. Once we get that evaporative cooling component out, we've taken the two biggest components of our consumptive use of new development completely out of the equation. Does that mean we can grow limitlessly? No, but that does mean that it enables us to grow without really having huge impacts on our water resources. They're impacts that we can manage within our existing supplies. So it really is not do we grow, it's how do we grow and making sure that we're being as responsible as possible with new development, considering all the constraints that we have on our water resources. You make a really good point there, Colby. And I like your reference as far as if you move to Southern Nevada after 2002, you did so because this community conserved. You just moved across town to a home that was built after 2002. You were able to do that because of the conservation of the community. If you expanded your business, relocated your business from an existing shopping center to a new shopping center built after 2002, you did that because of the water conservation of this community. Colby, before we let you go, can you just tell our listeners what are the most important things that they can do to help conserve and protect Southern Nevada's water? Follow the seasonal watering restrictions. Change that sprinkler clock four times a year with the season. Your grass does not need the same amount of water in February as it does in July. So let's make sure we're not wasting water that our plants don't need. Prevent and report water waste. Make sure you're checking your landscaping for leaks. Make sure you're not leaving the hose on and overfilling your pool that doesn't have an autofill. Make sure you're getting to those irrigation mishaps in your yard as quickly as you can, but also report water waste where you see it. Again, most people don't know it's happening. Most people fix it when they see it. Everybody plays a part in having eyes in the community when it comes to water waste. Fix and repair your leaks. 
We have a rebate for people that want to put a leak detection device on their house that can help do a better job of that. But look for those leaks, take care of them when they occur. And the last one is if you have grass and you're not using it, get rid of it. Put in a drip irrigated landscape, sprinklers, waste water. When you replace that grass landscape with a desert-friendly landscaping with a drip irrigation system, we rebate $3 a square foot. I'll also add that you can get that same $3 a square foot for filling in your swimming pool because we get people ask that a lot. Those are the things that help our community adapt to using less water. Great information there, Colby. And, you know, a great poet and musician, Joe Strummer, once said, the future is unwritten. And Colby, you just referenced a little bit earlier that the Colorado River, its future is uncertain. But we can write our own future here in Southern Nevada, and we continue to write that under the banner of water conservation. And if you're living in Southern Nevada, you need to be committed to water conservation because saving water is Desert Living. With that, Colby Pellegrino, thank you so much for joining us here on the Water Smarts Podcast and helping to make all Southern Nevadans a little bit more wiser and smarter about water. Thank you, Crystal and Bronson. Do you have thirsty grass? You're in luck. The Southern Nevada Water Authority will give you cash for your grass. Convert your useless lawn to water smart landscaping and receive a cash rebate from the SNWA. Start saving water and money today by visiting snwa.com. SNWA is a not-for-profit water agency. Well, Bronson, as always, Colby uh, shares a lot of information with us about what the Water Authority is doing to protect the water supply for Southern Nevada. And just overall reminding us all our part that we play in this and living in this vibrant community and our role and what we can do to conserve our water resources. Yeah, absolutely. She also provided some good information on how we're managing our water resources. Keep in mind that one of the best and most cost-effective ways for you to save water at your property, it's easy. Follow the seasonal watering restrictions. Whether you're a business or a resident, the seasonal watering restrictions are always in effect. You can go to snwa.com to get a full breakdown on what those watering restrictions are. We are in fall, so as of September 1st, only watering on your three assigned days. You can find your assigned days at snwa.com. We go to winter watering November 1st. That's the day after Halloween, so once you're done doing all of that trick-or-treating, either yourself or with your kids, keep in mind that you also need to be stopping at that sprinkler clock to change it to your one assigned watering day. Again, it is one of the most effective ways that we can save water here in Southern Nevada. Well, that's it for this episode here on Water Smarts. We hope you subscribe. Don't forget to listen next time. And if you have any questions, send them our way at watersmarts at snwa.com or you can reach us through our website on our contact page at snwa.com. Ping us with a question. We'll make sure to get back to you with an answer. And depending on that question, we might even talk about it on the air. Thanks for listening and we'll see you here next time on Water Smarts. Water Smarts.